0: Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Matthew 11, verses 1 through 6. Today is part two of our lesson about or asking the question, as John did, are you the one? And we argue that Jesus is the one. He's always been the one that the world needs. And that's the point we're making. Matthew 11, verses 1 to 6. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. When John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent, two of his disciples, and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who is not offended. Because of me. Again, we're looking at the... This is the second part of this this lesson. Are you the one? Jesus is the one. We're looking at this situation where John finds himself in prison. One who once believed now grapples with doubt and unbelief. One who was once active and involved and enjoyed his freedom of walking out by the Jordan, now finds himself captive and stuck. One who was at one point in time confident and pointed people, including his disciples, to Jesus saying, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He was sure of it. Now finds himself asking questions about Jesus' identity. He seems a bit unsure and uncertain about who Jesus is. We can sometimes feel that way. I believe much of the world is still asking these questions or grappling with these things, but what's worse is it's in the church. It's okay to ask these questions. It's okay to wrestle with doubt. If, if John, who Jesus identified as one who was strong, there was one point in time he asked, who did you come out here to see? A reed? Shaken in the wind? And Jesus' point about that was, John's not easily shaken. He's not easily moved. And yet, even he, in his confidence and strong beliefs, finds himself in these moments of doubt, uncertainty, stuck, asking questions, unsure. And if it happens to him, surely it happens to us. And it's okay to ask the questions. And what we're trying to do is Seek for Jesus and to see that he is the one. Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah 29 and verse 13, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. We're looking for Jesus. We're a- asking and answering the question, are you the one? And last week we looked at the fact that Jesus was from the creation, that he is God. God. That he was there before time began. That he was a part of the creation process. And that all things were created by him and through him and for him, Colossians 1 and verse 16. And these human beings, you and I, have been put here to reflect him. To reflect his love and his light and his life. And when we sin, we diminish that. When we sin, we chip away and make that light a little bit darker, a little bit dimmer. And what Jesus has come to do is to rescue us from our sins and to make that light brighter that we can reflect Him through us, through our words and through our deeds. We saw Jesus at the beginning. He's a part of the creation. And his, we saw His presence and His power and His purpose today. Today, Let's watch him enter into time. This is one of the things that makes Christianity unique. Our God left heaven to come here and put on flesh. And So not only do we see him as eternal and a part of the creation now, we see him at the cradle. We see him in Bethlehem. It's an odd thing. The mystery of his birth. Stop and think about this. Jesus is the king of kings. He is God entering into the world. How would something like that happen? Well, in a Roman-occupied world, if you're making this up as you go along, you would have him in Rome. Right? The belly of the beast. Okay, he's a a Jewish figure, so let's have him born and reside in Jerusalem. But that's not how this works. In the fullness of time, Galatians 4 and verse 4, God sent forth his son born of a woman under the law. And where is he born? Is it in Rome? Where does he live? Is it in Jerusalem? No. This young lady who resides in Nazareth, has to go because of a census being taken by the Roman occupiers, ends up in Bethlehem where she actually gives birth. It isn't anywhere near Rome. And he doesn't have a king's birth. There's not parades and pomp and circumstance and all sorts of nonsense. Nope. He's born to a poor family whose home is in Nazareth. He was actually born in Bethlehem. But when the time was right, God sent forth His Son. And His Son willingly came to the earth, and He put on this flesh, born of a woman named Mary, a virgin named Mary, Hebrews 2 and verse 14 tells us that he wore flesh. Philippians 2 and verse 7 tells us he is in the likeness or the fashion and formed as a man. And so what we're being told is he didn't come here as um, angels or heavenly hosts, not just some spirit being, deity alone, but put on flesh to be like us, to run the gamut of emotions. There's sadness and there's anger and there's happiness. The gamut of emotions. He now knows as he's wearing flesh and having blood in his veins and air in his lungs that there's this thing about being worn out and hungry and thirsty. There's the emotional pain of critics. And the pain of those who would betray him and deny him. He knows what it is to be human. In the fullness of time God sent forth his son and that son put on flesh so he could be like us and know what it is to be us. At the end of the day the point is is that God came from eternity to be housed in flesh and governed by time. Why? For us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 9, it says, Though he was rich, yet for your sakes. Underline that one in your Bible. He didn't do this for his own sake. He didn't do this because of sins that he committed, which he didn't. He did this for you. He did this for me. And Paul makes that clear. Though he was, at one point, rich and had a place of peace and tranquility in heaven. Yet, for your sakes, what did he do? He left that peace. He left that tranquility, and he came here to be housed in flesh, and he became poor, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. He did this for your sakes. Name another world religion where God comes to save or rescue the ones He created. I'll wait. There isn't one. There is not another religion on this planet where God enters into time and comes to His people for the express purpose of dying for them, giving His life a ransom for them, There's not one who became poor for the sake of the people they created. It's just not there. It doesn't happen. In Christianity, our God comes to us, for us, for our sakes, not his own. The manifestation. John chapter 1 and verse 14. Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld him we saw him jesus is a real historical figure he came and he put on flesh literally chapter 1 john chapter 1 verse 14 through 18 that he came and he pitched his tent right here and dwelt among us and lived among us and was one of us and it says that he declared him, John 118. That word declared, in the original language is exegesis. You see, if I have an opinion or a bias, And I bring that to my Bible study and I look into the Scriptures and I take my bias and I read it into the Scriptures because that's what I want the Scriptures to say even when it doesn't. That's called eisegesis. But when I come to the Scriptures and I dig into the Scriptures and I pull out what's there, whether I want to like it or not, accept it or reject it, it doesn't matter. It's still true. It's been brought out from the Scriptures. And whether I like it or not, it's true. For example, Jesus tells me that I need to pray for those who spitefully use me. Jesus tells me that I have to love my enemies. I can read that truth. I can exegete that passage, and I can know the truth that to be a follower of Christ, I'm going to pray for those who hate me and spitefully use me. I have to love my enemies, and that's the truth, whether I accept it or reject it. Let me tell you something. I know what the Scripture says. I know what's true. Living is a whole other thing. It's hard to love your enemies. It's difficult to pray for those who hate you and spitefully use you, but in exegetical study, you pull out from the Scriptures what's there, and it's true, and it stares you in the face, and it punctures your heart, and you stand at a fork in the road whether you're going to accept it or reject it. That's true exegesis. Well, that word declared. Jesus has come to declare him. He's come to exegesis. He's come to show us who God is. To, to tell us what is in the very heart and the mind of God who resides in heaven. And he puts it on full display as to what and who God is, and what His will is, and whether we accept it or reject it is irrelevant. He's come to tell us who He is, and to live as human beings ought to live. And that was clear, clearly manifested in the life, and the teaching, and the works, and the words, and the deeds of Jesus. And so, Our God came and was housed in flesh and was one of us and dwelt among us and showed us what it is to be human. I want you to notice one thing before we move on from this point. Matthew chapter 1 in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, you shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. This is a very important thing. Very important that you see what this just said. He came to save his people from their sins. You see, what we can do in the Christian world is try to change Jesus from who He is and what His will is to what we want it to be and demand that it be. And here's what I mean by that. That verse tells us not just the reason for Jesus putting on flesh, but the very ministry and purpose of Him coming to the earth. Let it be noted that first and foremost that Jesus did not come to save us from tyrannical governments. What was true then is true now. When the Jews were looking for the Messiah to come, they were looking for a man who was strong, who was a champion who was going to lead a mighty military event and remove once and for all the Roman occupiers. And he was going to restore Israel to its former glory and put her back on the world stage for all to see and to admire and save them once and for all from this this tyrannical Roman occupier. He was going to come and crush them into dust and there would be peace that would be here because Christ would sit on the throne and reign. But that's not what the Bible says. And let me tell you something else. Much of the so-called Christian world today wants that from Jesus. I see that in my American brothers and sisters I see that in those who wear the name of Christ all over this country. They want this Christ to hear their prayers and to remove the corruption, almost demanding as if Jesus were some sort of genie in a bottle to come and remove the corruption from our government. To remove this tyrannical, uh, oppressive powerful, bloated government who is so wasteful. Just Jesus come and crush them into dust, seems to be the prayer, so that we can have some sort of peace. My fear is that the American church has become too comfortable, and we want that comfort to continue, and it frightens us when we watch it slipping away from us and we act like Jesus is some sort of genie in a bottle and if we call him and this is our wish, that poof, it'll be done. And it's just not the way it works and it's not why he came. And we have got to understand that. He did not come to save us from tyrannical government. Secondly, he did not come to save us from struggles, from pain, and from suffering. One of the most difficult arguments, or should I say one argument that I am relatively sympathetic to when it comes to the the atheist argument against God is evil, pain, and suffering. Why does an all-powerful, good, and benevolent God allow bad things to happen to good people? It just doesn't seem fair. I'm relatively sympathetic to that argument. However, when you look at the cross, it is God in the flesh who is on full display saying, I understand. I understand what it means to be innocent, to never have transgressed the, the law of an almighty Holy God, I know what it is to be innocent, to have never transgressed or broken the laws of man or the laws of the land. I know what it is to have never broken the heart of a person. I know what it is to be completely and utterly innocent of any and all charges, literally any and all charges brought against me, whether it be heaven's law or the laws of the land. And yet, to suffer so mightily, to be beaten, to be hung on a cross. The cross is saying, I understand struggles. I understand pain. I understand suffering. I understand what it is to be abandoned by my friends. I understand what it is to be mistreated by a powerful pagan government like Rome. I understand what it is to be betrayed by my own people. The Jewish people delivered Jesus for envy to the Romans. I understand it, and the cross just screams, I understand. And it also tells us that while we reside in human flesh on this side of time, On this earth, we're still going to have struggles, pain, and suffering. It's part and parcel of being a human living on this side of the Garden of Eden. It's not fair. I understand. I concede the point. It's not fair. But it is a part of being human. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, did not Jesus tell them, That there's a wise man and a foolish man, and the wise man will build his house upon the rock, and the foolish man will build his house upon the sand? Didn't he say that? And what's going to happen to both believer and unbeliever, to the wise and to the foolish? What's going to happen to both of them? There's going to be a rain. There's going to be torrential downpour. There's going to be destructive natural disasters that hit both. Bad things will happen to the wise and to the foolish because life is difficult. Life is filled with pain. Life is filled with struggle. Life is filled with suffering. And it happens to the foolish and it happens to the wise. But when all the dust settles and the smoke clears and the storm is gone, who's going to be standing? The wise man who has built his life around Jesus and stands on the promises of Christ So note, in Matthew 1 and verse 21, Jesus was not born to come and be some sort of Messiah that saves us from a tyrannical government and to crush the corruption into dust. He did not come to remove all the struggles and the pain and the suffering from our lives. And He understands it because He was on a cross. He did not come so that we might have good health, wealth, and prosperity, so that we can live in comfort and everything be at peace and easy. That is not why He came. Listen to the Scripture. Matthew 1 and verse 21. And she, Mary, will bring forth a son, and you will call His name Jesus. Why? Why? because He will save His people from their sins. That's why He came. He came to destroy death and the fear of death. He came to rescue His people from their sins. Not to rescue them from government. Not to rescue them from struggles, pain, and suffering. Not to to, to save them from some sort of trivial nonsense that happens in the flesh. He came to destroy the fear of death and to rescue them from their sins because it is their sins that have separated them from God. It is their sins that has diminished and dimmed the light that they are to reflect. It has hindered them from living the abundant life in which God had intended for them to live. It is a barrier between them and living this human life as it was meant and designed to be by God. It is this sin that separates them not only from life in the flesh on this earth, but eternal life. It separates them from a holy God, and Jesus has come to bridge the gap, to bring reconciliation to people who are lost in their sins to be reconciled to their god and so as we bring this second point of this lesson to a close are you the one or do we look for another no folks he is the one he is the god of creation and he is the god who has come to this earth through a cradle God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, to put on flesh for the express purpose of rescuing people who live in their sins and are separated from their God. He is the only one that has the ability to do it. Because the blood of bulls and goats can't do it. Pagan and world religions can't do it. The Pope can't do it. Joseph Smith can't do it. Good works and money can't do it. Jesus Christ bearing our sins upon His body. That's why He came in the flesh. To shed blood that was going to be offered for for the remission of our sins. Yes, Jesus is the one. And He's always been the one that I need, that you need, that the world needs. So that's the end of part two. Jesus is God, part of the creation. Now today we saw Him in a cradle, putting on flesh. We will continue this next week. Until then.